Good evening. You're on equal footing with Dove Tuzman. Tonight's show is the second part of a multi-part series on mental health issues and particular, particularly on suicide loss. And tonight's show is focused on survivors of suicide loss, those who are left behind, life after suicide, stories of those left behind. I'm honored to be joined by some courageous people this evening who I've known in two of the three cases for many, many years and my whole life in one case. And it's only been recently that we've been able to really open up with each other about the, uh, about the topic of tonight, which in one case we, we share at a deeply personal level. So I'm going to, with uh, no further ado, introduce uh, our guests I'm joined uh, by Lee Yaffe, and Lee is a certified suicide prevention educator. She also works on postvention. Through her work with the Gelt Charitable Foundation, Lee has trained over 2,500 people in suicide awareness. She also works with and counsels individuals in crisis and their families. Lee lives in Philadelphia where she's the director of the Jewish Women's Resources Center at Penn University, and she has an 11-month-old daughter. Lee, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Dove. It's really an honor to be here. This is an interesting challenge logistically tonight. I was snowed in up in the Catskill Mountains, so usually I'd be in the studio, and one of you were going to join me in the studio as well. We're trying this remotely for the first time in a while with all of us. I'm, I'm also joined by Gail Riken-Tusman, and you recognize the last name because Gail and I are cousins, cousins by marriage, and we'll get into that in a moment. Gail has a doctor of education degree and has taught physical education for 24 years. She had a second career in technology at the University of Medicine and Dentistry at Rutgers University from which she retired in 2015. We've got a couple of Rutgers folks in the line. Gail lost her husband, Marty, who was my cousin, to suicide in September of 2010, a month before their 33rd anniversary and during the Jewish holiday, the Jewish New Year. They they have two sons who were in their 20s when Marty died. And through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Healing Conversations Program, Gail volunteers to speak with people who have lost someone to suicide and requested a visit from another lost survivor. Gail, thank you for having the uh, courage and and presence uh, here tonight. Well, you're welcome, and, and thank you for asking me to be part of this. Our other guest I've also known for a long time, not quite as long as I'd known my cousin Gail, but Rosario Davia and I have known each other for over 20 years. Uh, he's also a Rutgers graduate, uh, and he spent 20-plus years working with entrepreneurs and early-stage companies, helping them manage their operations and finance functions. Uh, 
And over the last several years, Rosario has focused his attention on helping nonprofits transition from grassroots efforts into professionally structured and scalable endeavors. And Rosario's current work actually touches on tonight's show. Uh, the organization that Rosario works with is called Cities Rise, and it aims to transform the state of mental health treatment for young adults around the world, particularly in developing countries in Africa, in Southeast Asia, in South Asia, and Latin America. Rosario is married. He lives in New Jersey. I won't hold this against him only for this show. He's a lifelong Yankees fan. And this is probably the best part of a bio that I've ever started a show on. Rosario is partly constructed from recycled materials. <laughs> and we'll get to that. That's, that's a true statement. Rosario, welcome. Thanks for being on Equal Footing. Thank you for having me tonight, though. Tonight's show is the second of, of uh, a multi-part series. The first show that we did a month or two ago, a couple months ago now, is called Invisible Agony and is about preventing teen suicide. And the index of teen suicide, as, as those on, the, on, the, on this show are probably aware, is, is the highest of any uh, age cohort. And all cohorts, all age groups from all demographics have had huge spikes in uh, rates of suicide completion and suicide attempts, and I'm sure suicidal ideation uh, during the pandemic. This is a period in which we're we're all uh, struggling together, and it's a period that brings out um, pe extraordinary feelings of loneliness for many of us. And I think it's particularly apropos to be addressing this issue in this period of both literal winter darkness and also social and 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 general darkness that's that we feel in the context of this really uh, societal global societal struggle at the same time as i was researching for these uh, segments it became clear to me that the resources are far greater easier to access easier to understand and become quickly a part of if you are someone that is either struggling with suicidal ideation or you have a loved one who's struggling with suicidal ideation or attempt. But there are far fewer resources or at least far more difficult to find resources when it comes to the survival component. Those who are left behind, meaning when a suicide has been completed, when someone has taken their own life, what happens afterwards to the communities they live in, to the families they were a part of, to the group of, of friends that formed the fabric of their life. And that's the focus of tonight's show. Uh, the, the rate of, of suicide, of completed suicide, is, is much higher in those who have survived suicide loss. But uh, for those who haven't, it's not just about surviving. Um, it, it's about about uh, thriving, as one of one of my guests here tonight said in in one of our uh, pregame conversations. So, I want to start by having Rosario you uh, discuss a little bit about your story of surviving suicide loss. What, what, how did that happen in in your life? So, at the time in question. Um, the, the person who committed suicide was someone who I've been 
at that time, friends with for over 30 years, best man at the wedding, close like a brother, all the kind of uh, classic kind of ways you can describe someone who was a friend and kind of morphed into a family member. Um, during the time that he um, committed suicide, I had just started dialysis. Um, and at that point, every day for me was a struggle, uh, both physically and mentally. I can't deny that I didn't have those thoughts myself when facing the odds of, you know, getting the kidney, uh, when faced with the odds of just the pain of everyday living and, uh, you know, the dialysis process and all that drained out of me. Um, so when, when he did um, commit suicide, uh, from my side, um, my, one of my strongest initial feelings was anger. Um, and I think to couple that with um, one of my kind of religious held beliefs as a Catholic that, that committing suicide is a mortal sin, one in which, um, you know, you are essentially shunned, one where you're essentially uh, damned, uh, literally by the word. Um, and in, in this particular case, um, the, you know, caught most people off guard, his family and myself, um, mostly because his own cousin who was like a well, his cousin, but also like a best friend to both him and close to me also had um, similarly committed suicide about eight years before. And in every conversation I ever had with him, he would reference the fact that he would never follow a similar suit because he saw what um, his cousin's suicide did to his aunt, his uncle, his, you know, his cousin's siblings, uh, himself. Um, so really caught caught most people who knew him well by surprise um and i think just uh, in summarizing the the story it's it's something you hear a lot but he was also uh the class clown kind of person and i think a lot of times that's when people are usually caught most off guard when it's the person who's always smiling the one who doesn't present as someone who might need uh to be checked on or um you know someone who uh doesn't seem to "Quote unquote," suffer from from mental illness in that in that way. The issue of presentation is such a a, a key one. I think uh, whenever there is a suicide that's completed in our circle of of loved ones and friends, I think there's an immediate tendency to look back and think, "What could we have done differently? How could we have been more aware?" And the the signs of presentation. Uh, the dis the displays of wellness of whether someone's okay are often very deceptive. Lee, you bring of course a an academic slash clinical background to this conversation. Um, what are the classically the steps Rosario had spoken about anger uh, that that is often part of the reaction? What what are some of the um, what are some of the reactions and the first steps for healing after there's been a uh, the completion of, of a suicide in one circle of love? It's a very um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. So I'll I'll put it to you this way: I don't particularly see one avenue for healing, but I I, I, I think there's there's different modes for different people. I think that that losing someone to suicide is such a devastating and often very shocking experience for people as as Rosario said you know not having any inclination that his friend was struggling the, the shock 
and the overwhelming the, the overwhelming um, reaction to the, to the scope of, well, how could we have not seen this or what could we have done differently? So the things, you know, the, the typical experiences, and again, I can't speak to everyone's experience because the experience of losing someone, um, you know, especially to suicide, it, people have different reactions. Um, but what I have seen is uh, definitely levels of anger, um, maybe with themselves for not having done what they felt they could do to help the person, anger at the person who died by suicide for maybe for not trying harder or not giving it one more day, um, anger at medical professionals or mental health professionals, you know, for feeling that maybe they could have done something more. You also see numbness. People are shocked. They're numb. They, they don't know what to feel. Um, you know, and over, also overwhelming grief. Um, and, and the process that the, really the first steps towards healing, I think is, is, it's a community issue. I think the first steps for healing. I think, I think we had a, a, an audio issue, um, there with, with Lee's uh, is line. That, uh, there we, we have you again. There, there we go. Sorry. Um, where did you, where did, did you lose? Well, Lee, while you're working out the audio, I'm, uh, you, you were talking about the first steps of healing, and I'm going to turn to you, Gail. We lost a, a loved one we shared. Um, you want to talk a little bit about your story of suicide loss? Sure. Um, Marty died after a long struggle with depression. And um, in the last 14 months of his life, uh, he survived three suicide attempts, was hospitalized, spent three months in residential treatment, and then in supportive housing. We were not living together at the time because after his first attempt, I, I felt I could no longer keep him safe at home and I I needed a separation, and so during his residential treatment, I asked his cousins, his who live in Philadelphia, we lived in, in New Jersey, uh, if they would help him find housing and work, which they did. And 14 months after that, I learned on the second day of Rosh Hashanah from your Uncle Marty, same name, <laughs> Uh, two different people, um, I learned that Marty took his life. And I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised. I feared for a while that that's how his life would end, although I ha also had hoped that the right medications would be found and he would get better and we can live together again. But it was the beginning of, of a journey. And my thoughts were very confusing um, because some of my, I never felt angry initially. Uh, and I never felt angry towards Marty. Um, it was very difficult living with him. And I remember that and and though after he died, I had these strong feelings that I missed him. And that was very confusing. Um, 
I was obsessed with the the would have, could have, should have, you know, what could I've done differently, all the second guessing, the right. decisions I made, the decisions I made that we couldn't live together. Um, it was difficulty sleeping. I had difficulty sleeping. Um, I started doing Sudoku puzzles because I had to focus on that and that let my mind rest from the the uh, the chattering that was going on in my head I was very support I was very fortunate to have supportive friends and family many of whom knew Marty knew of his struggles and so I didn't have any of the shunning I and I'm one of the suicide loss survivors who is not shy about sharing my experience um, I looked for a support group and I because I anticipated this would happen, I felt after about five or six weeks that, well, I should be feeling better by now. <laughs> I'm right. laughing at that now. Um, and I sought out support groups. And it was through a support group that I learned about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and all the um, resources that they have. And then I became angry. I became angry that the mental health professionals, his therapist, his psychiatrist, the emergency room staff after his suicide attempts, nobody ever mentioned these resources to me or to him. Um, Gail, do you, we're, we're yeah. going to take a break in a moment, but do you okay. want to mention a couple of those, of those resources to the audience? Because people that are listening now may be survivors of suicide loss or they may be dealing with their own ideation. They may be dealing with that within their circle of love. So what are the resources and a couple of resources? Maybe you and Lee mentioned a couple sure. now later in the well, show. I would, I would direct people to go. They're looking for, um, printed resources or numbers to go to um, the website for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is afsp.org. And there, then from there in the menu, you can get support for survivors or someone if you're having trouble. And um, so that's where I would start. And, and we'll the, put that in the show notes as, as well. Thank you. Sure. There's a handbook for survivors of suicide by Jeffrey Jackson. So, but all of those things, I believe, you can get to from that website. And and Lee, are there particular uh, organizations or uh, easy to access resources that are particularly focused on survivors of suicide loss that that you've had a positive experience with? Yes. Um, so I'll I'll tell you what what. What's interesting about, about the pandemic is that resources are becoming available now online from specific cities that wouldn't have been able that would not have been able to be accessed without going in person previously. So the D.D. Hirsch Mental Health Services in Los Angeles, which actually they are the home for the National Foundation, the National Prevention, the National Hotline for Suicide Prevention, excuse me, and they have incredible resources, um, both written resources and pamphlets that can be downloaded and also support groups and access to finding support groups in local communities. Um, their website is ddhirsch.org. 
they are based in Los Angeles, but they do have um, a variety of resources on their website that are very helpful um, for people who are struggling with with um, suicide loss. Thank you, we'll, and we'll we'll put those in the show notes as well. And always, you can reach out to someone who has gone through it before as well. They're likely to have resources you might not be aware of if you're fresh to this um, horrible pain. Uh, after we're going to take a break, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the 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 presentation of uh, of depression and and then how we then can avoid mirroring that afterwards. There's a much higher rate of, of suicide amongst people that are that are survivors of suicide loss, and it's a um, it's an it's an abyss that's important to to identify and be open and honest about. To participate in this conversation on life after suicide, uh, surviving uh, suicide loss and and healing and recovering, you can call 718-303-9090. So you can participate either anonymously uh, if you don't want to to identify yourself. Uh, You can also text a question to 917-428-4062. So again, our call-in number is 718-303-9090. And to text a question, it's 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back on Equal Footing. When your day is long And the night The night is yours alone Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Welcome back to Equal Footing. Our show tonight is about life after suicide, stories of those left behind, the process of from grief to recovery to healing. Gail, you had referred before the break to your husband, Marty, in blessed memory, who was my cousin. And he, I, I had dinner with him uh, the night before um, he completed a suicide um, at uh, at our family's home. Other the other Marty Tuzman, who's <laughs> uh, my uncle, and you know we haven't. Spo- I don't. I don't think we've spoken about it in this way ever until um, this mo- very moment. But I felt many years of nagging uh, guilt around 
not being so, as present as I could have been. I, we sat next to each other. It was a, it was a large holiday dinner, and there were, uh, remember the days of large holiday dinners pre-pandemic? There were like, <laughs> 25, 30 people there, and we, but we were seated next to each other. And I was talking about what was going on in my life. This was 2010, and I was traveling a lot, and things were very intense. And um, he was talking about your wonderful sons, David and Jonathan, and and he seemed happy and and there, i remember you know our other cousin adam was sitting there telling who's a real jokester and he was laughing and 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 it's just it was so confusing to me of course i didn't know uh what was going on underneath the waves and that you talked about the second guessing of which you know that we think probably we all have um when we're a survivor of suicide loss and Rosario, you you talked about that as as well. Um, for me, it was easier to stay in that space. I mean, it's a weird word to use to say it was easier, but of um, confusion and guilt than to go to the space of anger. But I think that it had had Marty and I been closer in our lives, if if you know we had been uh, spouses or, or or siblings or something, I feel like. Um, I definitely would have passed through that portal. Um, I guess I, Rosario and Gail, maybe we'll do it in, in, in that order. Um, R- Rosario, you, you you opened up about that. You were you were you felt anger at your friend, and that and and that. If you don't mind talking a little bit about about that and and how that ended up transforming, and and or maybe it hasn't. But how, how have you you know passed through that that portal of, of anger? Are you still there? So I would say that yes, there's still um, there's definitely still anger there, um, but not as great as uh, when it initially happened. And the reason why you know a lot of people might hear, um, and as Leah said, you know people react differently. And I think amongst his family, his friends, almost all of us had different reactions. Some people don't talk about it, and if you bring it up, they'll move past the subject. Other people are you know um, in deep states of depression themselves. In myself, it, mani- it manifested in, in an initial overwhelming sense of loss, but also just as equally strong as a as a angry um, kind of manifestation. And partly was due to my own issues going on. So every day when I was waking up, I was thanking God for the fact that I was waking up, and I was fighting to stay alive just that day. I wasn't worried about 20 years from now. I wasn't worried about two years from now. I wasn't worried about anything except for making it through that day, closing my eyes and hoping that God woke him up one more time and I could do it again until hopefully I'm 100. Um, Not sure if we'll get there. No one knows that. But in my eyes, here was someone who um, physically was healthy, um, had definitely fallen into um, drug use um, later in life, which I still believe probably fueled most of this. Um, But in in my mind... It was kind of uh, one of those moments that you, you look at someone else and question, look what you wasted while I'm sitting here every single day fighting, fighting like a gun's to my head just to make it through that night. Right. Um, you, you, were, you were facing imminent kidney failure at the time. I already had, yeah, I, I had stage five uh, renal, end stage renal kidney failure. I had just started dialysis. And in New York and New Jersey, uh, being that we're very populated states with a lot of people on a patient list, um, it's usually about an eight-year wait. 
and many people die in that eight-year period. Um, in my case, um, many, many miracles came through that I did get that kidney. Um, thanking my wife and my living donor. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, obviously in that stage, in that period of time, I did not know that was how it was going to end. Um, and quite frankly, I still take the attitude of, I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow. So from my point of view, I still choose um, to fight. I have to, I have no choice but to live, even if the voices in my head at the time were overwhelmingly uh, negative and, and, you know, shared those feelings that many people I imagine who do go through with the act um, face. Um, so in, you know, in, in, the, in this particular case, um, you know, to this day, um, you know, almost three years later, it's been about three years, um, there's still an anger of, you know, I think Gail said it very um, well in terms of could have been, should have been. Um, even just imagining, you know, simple little situations of, um, you know, envisioning a, new, a mundane task with that person that, you know, you don't have that chance anymore. Um, so you hit these moments of grief. I hit moments of uh, laughing about past memories and something that happens and you kind of catch yourself thinking, there's no one on earth who would understand why I'm laughing at this particular joke or this particular situation than this person who's no longer here. And, you know, there's been those times you want to pick up the phone and text and call, um, and, you know, you know you can't. So that's where kind of the anger resurfaces of, um, you know, why couldn't you wait? I think someone said it. Why couldn't you wait another day? I fully believe um, that if you perhaps wasn't under the influence of anything, um, he might have came to that realization. But, again, that's probably wishful thinking, and, and I'm sure... Um, something that most people who survive a close one losing suicide also hold dear that hopefully, you know, maybe it was just a bad moment. Not that this was predestined or you could have done anything differently yourself. Yeah, it's it's so important to, to, to not uh, blame oneself and to keep keep on keeping on as the uh, the theme song of this show is about. I'm gonna, By the way, I'm going to make sure in the show notes, for those of you who are interested, Ros- Rosario's story of survival and uh, finally getting a living donor and the, the 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 magic of the way that chain of donation works it merits a show into itself. But there's a there's been coverage on on uh, public television about it. I'll put that in the show notes. It's a if 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 I have Rosario's permission. It's a beautiful story, and I can imagine how how incredibly frustrating it must have been to lose your best friend at that time while you were like you said fighting for your life. Um, Lee, I want to I want to take a step back for a second and get a little bit academic. Um, you know, sure. for for any of us who have studied you know, taken psychology one hundred and one, we know about like the stages of of grief. But I've also read mm-hmm. that they they're actually a little bit different when it comes to completed suicide. There that uh, right. that you not only have you know the shock and and anger and, and, you know, and, and then ultimately acceptance, et cetera. But you also can have feelings of rejection, that the feelings of, of guilt can be overwhelming. Do you want to, for those who are going through this now or, or, or have a loved one who's going through it, could you maybe quickly paint for us the arc of those emotions so we can kind of feel more, I don't know, normal or feel accompanied along this painful journey if, you know, by understanding the different reactions we can have? 
Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, with, what's interesting about the five stages of grief, just for people who have lost someone who are experiencing grief besides for suicide, is that we know that those stages don't happen in one linear formation. You don't go from one to the other to the other and then you're done. Sometimes and oftentimes it can be cyclical and you can experience, you know, different emotions or different stages multiple times in varying degrees of strength over time. And so what happens for people who are struggling with suicide loss um, is that, you know, obviously there's an initial reaction of shock. And sometimes it's the shock of have the person completed the suicide and you knew that it was, you know, you knew that it might be something that they were struggling with, but you didn't know when or how. Um, and then sometimes it just, it seems like it's com coming out of nowhere and there was no indication, there was no real red flag or alert to you. Um, and so what happens in these stages of grief, you know, throughout the process of, of healing is that people might find themselves feeling, um, you know, it, it sounds absurd to say this, but some people experience over time a sense of relief that the person's pain is over and that causes them to feel guilty again and grieve again and feel and blame, blame themselves again and then feel ashamed for, for, for being, you know, relieved that the person is, is not suffering anymore. It, it's a very intense process. Um, and, and also what we see with survivors of suicide loss is that they're more likely to experience complicated grief. Um, you know, and, and I'm happy to speak more on, on that as well. I want to zero in on, on this, um, this sensation of relief because I've mm -hmm. read and heard this before and that often can be associated with, with guilt and mm -hmm. Gail you opened up about the fact that that Marty, your spouse, who completed suicide in 2010, my cousin, had been going through depression, severe depression for some time, and there had been different approaches in terms of uh, you know clinical treatment and look you know facilities and so forth. Was there a sense of relief? that he was no longer in struggle and pain? And if so, how did you deal with that emotion? I think that the ultimately I, I did uh, recognize that he was in tremendous pain to have done what he did. For someone to feel that there was no, there was no choice, there was only one choice. There weren't options that he must have been in tremendous pain. And my guilt was not about the, the pain. My guilt was more feeling that, you know, the, I guess around being more um, ha wishing that I had made different choices about the residential treatment he went to or not, you know, being more patient that, keep living with him and uh and so the, the the decision i made to basically separate was that's where my guilt circled around i yeah that's i appreciate your your candor in in saying that gail the i i think it's so common to be racked with uh confusion and and guilt and that can be connected to uh feelings of compassion and relief as well it you know 
as even 2,000 years ago, the philosopher Seneca, who wrote on suicide and suicidal ideation, identified this. The, the, the modern version of the, of the observation is that no one commits suicide because they want to die, but they mm-hmm. do it because they want to stop the pain. And yes. so there is an acknowledgement that there's an end to, to pain. We're going to take a caller in a minute. And since we're doing this remotely this evening, I'll just uh, I'll listen for the audio cue. <laughs> so we're going to take a, a caller in, in, in a moment. Um, Lee, it, if, is it okay to, um, I don't know how to put this in, in any way that won't sound crude, is it okay to graduate is it all right if you're a survivor of suicide loss to say, okay, I'm, I'm done? I, I mean, I'm saying from a clinical perspective, like I, I, I officially now can move on, or is it, or is it practically speaking a lifelong shadow or a, a lifelong, you know, small form of, 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 of death? Mm. So the, the thing about grief, especially grief of losing a loved one or, or a close friend or a relative to suicide, is that you don't really ever move on. The way I, I, I put it and the way I see it with the, the individuals and the families who I have worked with is that they move forward. They don't move on, meaning they don't leave the person and the experiences that they had with that person and also losing that person to suicide in the past. What they do is they take pieces of who that person was, including the grief that they feel sometimes daily um, with the pain that they feel of having lost them. And they carry it forward into um, proactive, um, you know, a a more proactive form of of living with their grief. Um, So so what you might see in in often in in some cases is that people who struggle with with the loss of losing someone to suicide once they've come to a place with, obviously, with the right help and mental health professionals, and, and I don't think that people can heal from this alone, and, and they shouldn't have to. There's, there's really incredible support groups and organizations that are, that are available for those kinds of things. And I think that talking about the person who, who died by suicide and, and, and talking about who they were as, a, as an entire person and not just about the completed suicide is part of the healing process. And what you do begin to see is that what happens is they graduate from being, um, you know, fully immersed in the grief to being able to take the grief and doing something with it, like becoming a volunteer at a foundation, working with suicidal individuals. Um, I have many friends who have become mental health professionals because of losing family members to suicide and wanting to have better tools to be able to help other people. So, so it's in a way, it is gra- it's, it's a graduation of, of sorts. You know, Gail, in one of our pregame conversations, you were resistant to the title of tonight's show having the word survival in it. So we entitled it Life After Suicide, Stories of Those Left Behind, because you said it's not about surviving, it's about thriving. Talk to us about that. Did you graduate? How? Where are you in that journey? Well, I think very much what, what Lee said is that there's no graduation. You learn how to to live, and many days I think about how I would like to be living my retirement with Marty. And that's, you know, and I'm in a relationship with a wonderful man for eight years, but that um, that doesn't take away 
the feelings that I should have been doing this with Marty. You know, that's that was our plan years ago. Um, and so it, I, I just learned to live with it. It's as I, I heard someone say the, the, the Saturday before Thanksgiving every year is International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. And there are programs all over the world. And at one of them, I heard someone say that when you lose someone, there's a, a space in your heart, the shape of that person that just, it's there. And you just learn to, to you know, love and, and live around that. But it's, it's always there. Both you and Rosario talked about integrating the, you know, the elements. I loved what you said, Rosario, about the elements of the person that's been lost, about uh, you know, thinking about when who would have laughed at, at that joke, and you, you, that your your dear friend was the only one that that you know would have laughed at a certain joke, or what Gail talked about around um, thinking, well, this is what I was supposed to do with that person, but doing so with with fondness and love instead of regret and guilt. We're going to take a break, but I I, I am um, um, falling out of my chair because I I think that we have. Uh, someone on the line is going to join us right after the break who's intimately connected to this story as well um and so we'll be i i hope that our that our wonderful audio engineer dimitri can hear me right now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back on equal footing in a moment try your best but you don't succeed when you get what you want but not what you need when you feel so tired, but you can't sleep. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. At Mechanical Art Capital, funds are wired to you quickly, discreetly, in two business days or less. Your timepieces are stored in a secure location in Manhattan, and you can have your watches back whenever you are ready. Safe, simple, contact Mechanical Art Capital, 833-209-0972. 0972 or visit them at www.mechanicalartcapital.com All right, you're back on equal footing. Our show tonight, Life After Suicide, Stories of Those Left Behind. Have with me on the on the show Lee Yaffe, who is a professional prevention and postvention educator on suicide in times of crisis. Rosario Davi, who's an entrepreneur and a uh, currently an executive at Cities Rise, an organization that focuses on youth mental health around the world. Gail Riken Tusman, Doctor Gail Riken Tusman, although she doesn't like for me to say the doctor, uh, is. Um, is a survivor of suicide loss, has been an educator uh, for for many years, and has really become an expert in not only surviving suicide loss, but thriving afterwards and living going forward in, in love and light. I think we have on the phone, 
the other Marty Tuzman from Philadelphia. Marty, can you hear us? I can hear you. I, I hope I'm doing this right on the phone. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Uh, this is this was not planned. <laughs> uh, I when I I saw the note from our audio engineer that you were that you were on the line, Marty. Of course, um, uh, of course, we had to have you on your intimate part of the story. Marty is my uncle, <laughs> and uh, is was also cousins with. Mar- it gets confusing. Marty Tuzman, in blessed memory, who who took his life in 2010. Marty, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to join the conversation. I'm going to jump right in here, if I may, Khalil. Um, first of all, uh, you know, it's been so emotional anticipating this program, and I, since Marty's 10th anniversary of his death, I've had his photo in front of me at the kitchen sink, me and him hugging each other. Um, and we shared a Zoom call with the family. I mean, it's it's never over. And everything we've heard is so profound. You know, confusion, guilt, how much could we have done? You know, when Marty first went the, to the therapeutic program, Gail called me and Marty called me, I think, within an hour of each other. And then ultimately, Marty came to Philadelphia to work with me and my business and live with us. Can you hear me okay, Khalil? Everything coming through? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. And and so I guess the, the question, if I've been anticipating the score, I wish I could say something profound. I don't think we can. I, I think the confusion, the guilt, the, the endless effort of what we could have done differently and how to resolve it, and the peace that's so huge that they live in our heart will, will always be in our heart. In a way, resolution to it all. But... What I would say is that we all, we, many of us, most of us, we all try our best. And God knows I lived with, um, with, with Marty since he was a kid. I lived with Gail in the marriage. I, I, I mean, I was so close to them. And Marty tried his best. He worked his tush off. And, and while he was in Philly, he had several attempts at suicide. And, um, and I tried my best, and I went away on vacation and came back, and I looked at him, and I knew he was in trouble, and he spent Rosh Hashanah with us. We all do our best, and, uh, you know, there's a way, and I, I'm going to end here. I don't want to talk too much, but I was called, there was a confusion who had really uh, died that day, and I got a call from my office in a panic, you know, and I answered the phone, and they, there was a, a relief. I was called to the site. There was, there was a sense, and this might sound terrible, there was a sense of peace and ease and relaxation that I had not seen in Marty for, for years. And he tried his best, and to, a, to an extent, that's all I can live with, is that Gail tried her best, he tried his best, we all tried our best, and I'm a person, I'm a survivor of survivors of the Holocaust, I'm a person that's done therapy work all my life, we... I don't, I don't reduce that. I don't reduce the person on the phone whose life is to help people. But, but at the same time, we as the survivors, we as those who have suffered with this, have to give ourselves a break and just love ourselves and love the ones that have passed on because that's all we have at the end. And how much Gail did and it didn't stop and how much I did and how much we all try to do, we do our best, and they do their best, and to an extent, all we're left with is love and, as Rosario said, the big piece in our heart that they hold, and I'll stop there. Wow. 
so first of all, I love you, <laughs> and thank you for for sharing, Lee. That is that sounds like from my not not you know non erudite, non studied uh, perspective about as um, about as holistic or. Uh, complete a, a healing as you can go through to recognize that everyone's tried their their best. Um, yeah, it's you know, I think coming to that point, and there's actually something I wanted to say to both Rosario and Gail while while they were both speaking. I was thinking about this about the the sheer the place that you that you have to get to in your life as a survivor of losing someone to suicide to get to a point where you can feel comfortable talking about the person and sharing the story and not only sharing about their death, but also about their life. And I've been hearing that from both of the other um, <laughs> participants tonight. And I think it's, it's so empowering and, and, and the work that has to be, that is, that is done, the work that is undertaken of the people who are left behind to get to that place of healing is enormous. And, and, and just, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really so grateful that you're all here and and willing to share i think it, it says so much about about the legacy that you want the individuals who who were lost to have in this world i, I really it's it's really incredible um if i may there is actually something i, I want to share um another uh, on the on the same idea of, of how do you how do you you know how do you move past this and again you i don't think that people move on i think they move with and an incredible example of that is is an organization that I've been working with um, for um, I I I, uh, I facilitated a training for an organization in Cape Town, South Africa, um, called Adams Forum. A group of high school students who lost one of their friends, Adam, to suicide. Um, and the way that they they that they went through the stages of grief and the recovery process was to create a website and a forum for people who were either struggling with mental health issues themselves or for people who had lost someone to suicide to be able to, to, to speak either anonymously or, or non-anonymously in an open and safe space about their experiences. I think that, that knowing that there are other individuals out there who you can share your story with, who will understand you is, is a crucial part of the process because although we've all experienced, you know, we're all human beings. So we've all experienced pain and disappointment and heartbreak and trauma but the loss of the, the, the experience of losing someone to suicide is not like other things. And, and that's why it's, it's so important for people to know that if they are going through that right now, or even if, if it's something that happened in the past that they're, they're, they're still experiencing and going through that pain and that grief, that there are resources that are available to them um, to be able to speak to people who've gone through similar situations and to feel less alone in the process in, in, you know, in the process of their healing. So before we wrap this conversation, I do want to hit a sensitive subject that many of our listeners may struggle with, which is the way that uh, the community, often through a religious prism, will uh, judge completed suicide. And that is a very complex people issue for people that are in a faith-centric life, particularly in the Abrahamic religions, less so in the Eastern religions, but in, in Judaism and Christianity and Islam, 
their varying um, degrees of seeing suicide as a mortal sin. I mean, I think, you know, Rosario, you're Catholic, and my understanding in, 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 in ca- the Catholic Church is that, and I may get this wrong, but that because life is kind of the, the province of God, that God gives life, that suicide you know, is like asserting dominion over God or over creation. So it's like almost like attacking God. It's, 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 and in Orthodox Judaism, it's certainly absolutely forbidden. It's, it is less of a, less of the use of kind of mortal sin terminology. But how did you, Rosario, as a, as a Catholic deal with that either personally or in the, in the community with your, with your, with your best friend who, who took his life? Yeah, so you're you're correct in your assessment that it is considered a mortal mortal sin, and that, as you as you put it, uh, you took one of God's creatures, even if it was your own life, and that traditionally um, uh, the view of the Catholic Church was that they would not do uh, Catholic burials or Catholic masses for anyone who has committed suicide, and furthermore that you know you would pretty much be. Uh, uh, facing eternal damnation. Um, modern modern kind of times have changed a bit. I did actually at his... He did have a, a Catholic burial. He did have a Catholic mass. Um, you know, in talking to the priest who carried out those services, which, um, just as a side note, as a New York Yankee fan, uh, was actually the uncle of Mark Teixeira. But um, in speaking to him, um, kind of got me to a bit of comfort that you know, the thinking has evolved on that and that, you know, the same way you would have a physical illness, that, you know, mental illness is indeed an illness that you would have no control over committing it. So that person is not taking a choice against God, but, you know, the disease drove them to it. So I think it's changed in terms of modern beliefs. In terms of my own belief, it's hard for me to shake that um, kind of ingrained into me from birth and my own personal kind of belief of always fight, just my nature, always fight, um, that there wouldn't be a kind of, um, you know, some kind of post-earthly post, uh, life um, penalty to pay, if you want to put it that way. Um, but I don't think I believe that as strongly as I once did, having had someone close to me go, go through it, if that makes sense. I appreciate your candor on that, Rosario. Gail, was that something that, that you or the family had to, to confront in any way that that kind of stigma, if you will? Fortunately, we did not experience any stigma. In fact, um, you know, the, the, the rabbi at our synagogue had, had visited Marty, um, and he was brand new. He just kind of got the word from the previous rabbi that he was having problems. He actually visited him in the hospital. Um, and so we were fully supported. There, there was no stigma or anything attached. Well, I, I hope that can both of your cases coming from a, a, a faith envi- faith-based environment can be a lesson to others because I think it's it's often, in my humble perspective, the the, the last thing that a family, a circle of love needs at that time is is that 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 kind of judgment wherever it may come from theologically or you know um may i may i uh, may i add one more thought to that topic go ahead yeah and i think we have one more call or two that we'll try to get before the end of the hour sure, go sure. Ahead. 
Um, I, I, I'm an Orthodox Jewish woman. <laughs> and, and I also very much grappled with that idea of, like, is it a sin in, in halachic Judaism? And what does that mean? Can the person, you know, you often hear people throw this line of, well, someone who dies by suicide cannot be buried in the Jewish cemetery. Um, and, and often what I've come to understand is that a lot of the, the way that we've come to understand suicide in religion, at least in, within Judaism, is, is, is mostly misconception. And what I've seen in, in my experience working with communities who have lost someone to suicide is that the, the, um, not only is there no stigma and, and no shame from the community onto the family, but they, they do, you know, envelop the family in this, in this feeling of, of love and support. And so from that perspective, you know, the, the, the religious aspect of the life lost is, is honored. Um, and so is, is the family who, who, who continues to, to, you know, to, to struggle with, with, the, um, with the aftermath. That's encouraging to hear, Lee, and, and I hope that people, I hope that penetrates to, for, for people that are, that are going through that in that community. We have time for one more caller, uh, Mindy from New York. Welcome to Equal Footing. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you, Joe, for bringing this um, subject to the surface. I think it's so important because whether directly or indirectly, I think we're all impacted um, by mental health issues, suicide, etc. And I know we're approaching the top of the hour, but my question is, and it's something that I struggle with as well because in my family I've had um, members close to me suffer from mental health and suicide attempts, is the gremlin of what if. And Lee, through maybe your professional experience or, you know, Gail and Rosario, maybe through your personal experiences, like how do we kind of shut that voice off? Um, so it's not to feel maybe guilty or, I, I don't know. It's just something I personally have struggled with. And if you uh, have any last Gail, words, I would that. Yeah, thank you for that question. We have just a minute left here. Gail, okay. how, do, how do you shut off that what if gremlin? What could I have done differently? Well, well what I do is I, I imagine I have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And the devil is the one saying woulda, coulda, shoulda. And the angel... And, and when it starts talking, I say, well, thank you for sharing. Now shut up. And then I turn to the other side and I repeat what people have said and what I really know. I did everything I could. It wasn't your fault. And that's literally how I did it until I stopped having to do it. <laughs> great, great point to end on. Focus on the angel. Tell the devil to shut up. Um, God bless you if you're on this journey. Uh, there is life after suicide loss. We'll put resources in the show notes. Rosario, Gail, Lee, thank you for joining. And happy holidays to everyone. We'll catch you next week.